Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, just a little bit about redemption. We are one church. We have multiple congregations, and so we meet in, um, in five other places as, as well as here in Tempe. Uh, we believe all of life is all for Jesus, so simply put, um, because of that belief, we want to make disciples in response to that truth, uh, to make disciples of men and women that live their life for Christ. Um, if you want to learn more about who we are at Redemption or just anything maybe you hear today during the service, best thing you can do is take the information card in the chair in front of you and then fill out your name, your email address, um, any questions you may have. Um, if you're new to Redemption or if you've been here for several years but you have questions, uh, write those down and then you can drop them off in the offering box boxes which are located in the back by the doors, and you have an opportunity to do that during our time of response after the message. Um, what I want to do now before we get into the message is take a time to kind of um, catch us up to where we are. Um, for the past four months, if you've been around Redemption, it's been a lot. Um, primarily January, February, March, uh, we started a series in which we looked at the prayer life of Jesus in John 17, and then we, we went into uh, building a stronger church series, which took us six weeks, and a part of that, we were seeing what God is doing in and through our congregation. Uh, we took a time to raise money and begin a capital campaign, and there's a lot of energy and a lot of effort that was uh, put into that. Uh, and then after that, Easter came out of nowhere um, in the sense that Easter showed up uh, last week at the very end of March, which a little bit earlier than normal, and so there's been a lot. We've been moving really fast, but I want to just kind of take a step back, um, fill you in, catch you up, let you know what's happening in redemption, kind of some, some of the things that we're doing, and then we'll jump into Romans. Uh, first thing is, many of you don't know this, but we have a high school ministry um, high school and junior high ministry, um, where junior high kids and high school kids are in community together. Um, they're being led by leaders, and they're walking along, um, trying to follow Jesus' disciples. And one of the cool things we have for our high school students to do this summer is we are going to partner with the Gilbert campus, and we're going to send them to San Diego for a high school summer camp. And for us, this is a big deal because we've never, one, we've never had high school kids. Um, now we have high school kids that we're actually going to send to camp. Now, the reason why I bring this before you is there could be some of you who would say, I've never known about this high school ministry. I, I know a high schooler. I am a high schooler. I want to be a part of it. Um, or I want to go to this camp. I want to send a kid to this camp. Or how can I get alongside and, and sponsor these kids to go to San Diego? Um, the dates on that camp is January, or excuse me, June 7th through 11th. Um, there's a significant price that's there, and we want to be able as a church to help offset the cost of those students. Here's where you come in. Um, and it's not going to necessarily be any extra money out of your pocket. If you already shop at Fry's, which is many people, you can help offset the cost of a particular kid or the ministry as a whole. Um, we are going to be selling um, Fry's gift cards, excuse me, Fry's cards. You'll buy them for 20 bucks. The way that works is when you go to Fry's to buy your groceries, uh, you pay the money, you can reload that card and put as much money on there as you want, but today it's $20. 
And then 6% of what you buy. So if you spend 80 bucks, 6% of that will go towards, you can designate it towards a specific kid or just for the ministry in general. And the reason why I think we can do this well is we don't have very many high school kids and junior high kids, and we have a lot of people that shop at, shop at Fry's. Um, and that way we can help offset the cost for some of our parents that able them to be able to send their kids to San Diego. Again, high school winter camp. If you want information about this, there is a desk on the way out. In fact, just stop by there, um, say hello to the people that are there, and say, tell us a little about high school ministry and how we can be involved. Um, and they'd love to talk to you, and they'd love to share you some ways and give you more descriptions on that. So high school ministry. Uh, second thing is, one of the best things we've been able to do in the past six months here is beef up our classes in the sense of make our classes more accessible, uh, um, that the training is healthy, and that we're able to disciple people outside of Sunday services and within communities in its context of classes. We've seen our attendance go up in classes, and I just want to put this before you all. Whenever you hear us say there's a class, try to take one. Um, and this next one that we're, we're, that's coming up is a valuable class. It's a class that I believe that is, is engaging, and, and, it, and it also embodies who we, we're trying to be as a church uh, that believes that all of life is all for Jesus. Now, the topic is theology and culture. Um, what Pastor Jim, as well as uh, Benjamin Jensen, one of our pastoral residents, will be teaching on is how does the Bible relate to and speak? and speak to things like art and music and politics and, and, and dancing and whatever, whatever is in culture, how do we engage those things? It's going to be a three-week class that will start next Sunday. You can sign up for this class um, online at redemptionaz.com, or you can just go to the Connect desk and you can sign up there. It really, I would say, um, captures the, the type of church that we are, we are in response to the gospel trying to be and uh, being witnesses to the kingdom of God um, in, this, in this city and in this place. So again, theology of culture uh, coming up soon. Uh, lastly, baptisms next week. Always a fun Sunday for us. Always a joy. Uh, many of you who have just become Christians, you want to be, be baptized in the name of Christ, and we'd love to baptize you. We don't have a formal process for this. Um, we believe we read in the scripture that men and women say they believed in Jesus, they profess faith in Christ and what he's done on their behalf, and then they got baptized. And it's one of the best Sundays for us. And if you've never been baptized, um, and you know that that's something that you want to do, or you're saying, I don't ever, I've, I've not been a Christian for that long, but I do want to be baptized, or I just want to hear more about it, um, I need you to take that information card in front of you, fill out your name, your email address, let us know that you want to be baptized, what hour you want to be baptized, and then you can drop those off in the offering boxes. For the rest of us, we come next week to rejoice in what God is doing in and through our midst, and then the men and women around us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'm about to bring up a guy on stage here, but before I do, um, I just want to take this moment to talk about our pastoral residency. Uh, about six months ago, we introduced you guys the thought that we were, we were starting to a pastoral residency program. And if you're familiar with the hospital system, you have people who are residents, people who have done work, who've gone to school, but they're training to be doctors. And we took that language and said, we believe that we are equipping church, that we equip men and women like yourself for the work of life and vocation, and also um, people who are called, they think, called vocationally to be in church ministry. Uh, primarily, these are men who think they want to plant churches, who want to work for churches, um, who have already had ministry experience, who are saying, we are willing to raise our own support and find our own means of income to be a part of redemption, to learn about how to do church and to partner with redemption. Um, and so here in Tempe, we have two, and we just added another one for three. Across redemption, we've got about nine to ten residents. Uh, you guys have already met Oye Waddell and already Benjamin Jensen, who was here doing call to worship in the morning. And then we have another 
another guy who's a little bit different. He's been here. He comes here three days out of the week to be with us, to learn from us, and he's going to be planning a church here in about six months. But I want to introduce him to you this morning. Um, his name is Dave Goffany. So if you guys would do me a good favor and welcome Dave as he comes on stage. Part, part, of, part, of, part of the residency is for them to learn from us, and Dave goes, hey, what are you wearing today? Right? So, no, so I showed up today. I'm like, really? Today? Uh, but I uh, look tell, good. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, wife, kids, yeah. so forth, um, what you're doing, where you live. Okay. Yeah. Um, my name's Dave. Um, and uh, actually, just a, a heads up, I have a speech input impediment. And I actually uh, live in Tucson. And so I was, uh, yeah, it isn't that I'm like trembling because I'm up here in Tempe or anything like that. Um, okay, I'm confident. But anyway, that's just a heads up on that. Um, but yeah, I have a wife and f- four kids. And um, yeah, we lo- live in Tucson. We were in California uh, for about 10 years. And then we just now came back here to Arizona. Yeah, I first heard about Dave, some friends of ours, about six, seven years ago. We would talk about this guy who discipled them in college at Chico State. And if you're not familiar with Chico State, Chico State is like ASU, Northern California. It's just like a weed school. And so they're, they're, they were there, and there was like this, this guy who discipled us, and, uh, and his name's Dave, and I'd hear about this guy. Then there was another couple that I met, and they would say the same thing. And then finally I got an email uh, from Dave just saying, hey, I want to partner with Redemption. I want to plant a church in Tucson. I saw that, and I'm thinking, no, it's a joke, right? Um, and, and, and I thought, well, let's meet. And we met on your grounds in Tucson and got the chance to meet him. He has four kids, but what he didn't say is their first kids, plural, that triplets right out of the gate. <laughs> to me, that'd have been like a done, right? <laughs> but they have another kid and, and his wife and, uh, and their kids are great. And they drive up here from Tucson uh, three days a week. They stay with their in-laws and, and he just serves here and is learning and um, is going to plant a church and um, you can tell us where you're going to plant your church this summer. Yeah, as you said, in uh, Tucson, Arizona, clear down, right near, uh, right near the U of A campus. And um, he almost tackled me actually earlier when I had that. So yeah, bear down careful. can't be made from the stage. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, we're, we're um, planting down there. We're in the kind of core team um, stage building right now. And um, and yeah, like you said, we're up here often uh, once a week and just um, trying to learn everything we can, soak up just the culture, what God is doing here at Redemption. We love it. And, um, and yeah, so if you can just, yeah, pray for, for um, just the, the A, it, I know it, it's hard for some of you, but just pray for Tucson. Um, honest, honestly, I mean, I know it's a joke a little bit, but there is, um, it's just such an opportunity to see the incredible work of God unfolding as we look ahead, you know, 5, 10, 20, through eternity, God's work in Tucson. It's exciting. And so I would ask you to pray for that. And then also, secondarily, just to pray for the people that God would raise up to be a part of it with us. That's the stage we're in now. And so, yeah, I would just cover your prayers. So the question is, is, like, is this going to be a redemption church in Tucson? And no, they're going to have their own church. We're, going to, we're partnering with them. We're coming alongside them. We're going to help them um, as a part of other ministries and churches that are helping them partner and are planning their church. And he's right, and I, I can say this. I'm kind of glad that I can do this. And this is, I, I do think that we need churches in Tucson. I do think God loves Tucson. And I think Tucson's a good city. And I think University of Arizona is a, is a, is a, uh, is a, um, a good university. <laughs> For some people. And, uh, 
in, in all honesty, there, there hasn't been a person that has made me think about Tucson um, more than Dave, and, and, uh, and we, we really want to get behind them. And so the way it works for us is here is there's always people coming here from Tucson or knowing someone that goes to U of A. We get this email probably once every other week. Do you guys know of any churches that are in Tucson? And there are churches there. We're not saying there's no churches in Tucson. But when you have someone that's as like-minded as Dave, we're saying, yeah, if you're going to start a church and there's people from here who want to be in Tucson, like, go. Um, if you, because uh, it has to be a call of God, in my opinion, <laughs> right? If you want to be in Tucson, like, go and, and be there. And uh, so, so anyways, let, let's pray for Dave and let's pray for Tucson and let's pray for the work of the gospel to, to come to bear continuously and, and bear fruit um, um, through the ministry there. Father, we thank you so much for Dave and, and for Kira and their, their kids and just their life, the evidence of grace of how you have worked in them and through them, through their stories, God, and the people you've, di- you've allowed them to disciple, lead to Jesus and grow and that become leaders themselves, Lord. It's just evidence of your hand upon them. And Lord, we do pray that as a church, um, not just as an organization, as a church, as a people, that we would be thinking of Tucson, we'd be praying for Tucson, that the gospel would come to bear, primarily in that downtown area near the campus, that men and women would come to know Jesus. So we pray for your spirit to go before Dave, and Lord, be, be preparing the soul that the gospel would be planted and it would reap fruit. Protect him and his wife and their family. Grow them spiritually, that they would know you and discern your call and your gifts. Understand your wisdom and discernment, Lord, as they lead people on the mission for the gospel. We thank you that we get to be a part of this, um, God, we thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing in the world. In Christ's name, amen. amen. All right, thanks, Dave, again. Heart goes out to all those people out there. Hey, if you have your Bibles, meet me in Romans chapter 1. We start our series on Romans, something we've been looking forward to. Um, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and, and let one of the guys be able to get you a copy of God's Word. Um, if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we hand out to you so that you can have God's Word, you can read it uh, for yourself. Um, if you have the Bibles that we're handing out, you're going to be on page 610. That's where we'll begin in Romans. Um, so if you're just joining us, we normally teach through books of the Bible. Um, it just so happens that this is the first book of the Bible that we're teaching through this year, and it's the last book of the Bible that we're teaching through this year. It's going to be the first book of the Bible that we'll continue to teach next year, and possibly the last book of the Bible that we're going to teach next year. Um, we are going to take breaks during this series, but I think total so far, um, 70 weeks is what we have charted out so far. Um, and that's going to be good timing for us. Um, if you have not been around Christian circles, the book of Romans, especially in the West, meaning in America and Europe and Canada, is an important letter. It shaped theologically the church. Um, it, is, it is some of the most profound uh, theological statements and doctrine. But first and foremost, Romans, this beautiful doctrine that it displays and theology as it displays, it's a letter. It just so happens to be the Apostle Paul's longest letter that he wrote. It just so happens to be a letter of which many people who have studied the book of Romans have said it's the greatest letter ever. It just so happens to be a letter that that contains some of the core essential truths of Christianity, some of the most debated about about truths in Christianity, whether it be things of the Spirit or whether it be things of election or predestination— the book of Romans has it. So we're going to spend a chunk of our time looking at Romans. Um, just kind of give you a snapshot of what the next few weeks will look like. 
Today, we will primarily look at verses 1 through 7, um, and then we have time. We'll touch verses 8 through 15. 8 through 15 is just Paul saying, I love you, can't wait to see you, never met you before, and, and, and I want to share the gospel with people. Next week, we'll look at verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the righteousness of God. This is the theme verse of the entire book, of the entire letter. And so we'll spend some time looking at that. Week three, we'll come and we'll look at the great exchange. Like, what went wrong in our world? Like, why are things upside down? How have people denied God and his, the existence of God, even in what he has in creation? And what does that mean? What are the results of that? And then after that, so about week four, yeah, week four and week five, we are going to look at what Paul begins to talk about in verse 24 here, um, about, uh, excuse me, verse 26 and 28 of chapter one, about homosexuality. And we're going to take two weeks on that. Um, this is something that even as we planned on Romans last week, we said we're going to spend some time on this. I think just in God's providence, the timing on it is, is impeccable. Um, an opportunity for us to look at what does the Bible say about homosexuality? And then the second week, we'll come back and we'll do something a little different where I uh, want to say, what, how do we respond as those of us who are believers in Jesus? How do we respond in our culture to this particular topic? And, um, and maybe we're trying to work through so we can do a little bit of time of teaching as well as some Q&A um, and look at it. And, and we believe the Bible teaches on it. It comes up in Romans, so we're looking forward to it. So those are the first five weeks that we're going to be looking at. But today we start with chapter one, verse one. And it's theological as this letter is, this letter, the reason why Paul wrote this letter, he wrote this letter so that we may understand good news. And I don't want us to miss that. He wrote this letter that we, meaning people of God, people who are not yet believers in God, would understand good news. So before we get into the theological things, which we will get at, before we get into just the complete righteousness of God, before we unpack these important truths. What's central to Christianity is the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. And so that's where Paul begins. Uh, Just um, a brief brief background about Romans. Again, Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. He was a man that we read about in the book of Acts. He was against the church, against the gospel, against Jesus Christ. And then God began to work on him and do a, a work in his life, changed him, turned him, and he became obsessed with the gospel. And then his whole life was committed to the gospel, and so he became a church planter. And what Paul would do is Paul would go to major cities and dense areas. He would plant the gospel from the good news. People would believe in Jesus, and he would start a church, raise up men and women leaders, leave the church as is, and then go and do the whole process again. The way that he corresponded with these churches, he often wrote letters. In fact, Paul wrote half of the New Testament. And we see these letters that he writes to the churches in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We see it in Ephesians. We We see it in Philippians. He wrote to young leaders like Titus and Timothy. He constantly wrote letters to them, people whom he had relationships with. What's unique about the letter to the Romans is that Rome in itself was the biggest city. It was the most dense city, the most affluent city. It had rich people, it had poor people. It was super diverse. There were Gentiles, meaning people who were not uh, Jewish people, and there were Jewish people, and there was a church that was started there, and there were Christians there, but Paul didn't start this church. In fact, Paul had never been to Rome. And so when Paul begins to ink this letter, he's writing the people of which he's never met. And he starts off with an introduction, is what we're going to look at today, an introduction into Paul and his gospel. And what's interesting about this is Paul uses interesting language to introduce himself. 
Some of us know how important it is to make a good first impression, especially with people that we want to be with. We want people to like us. We want, we want to have a good impression. And so there's a way that we present ourselves. Um, and many of us have never had the, oppor- excuse me, the experience to say, I have to present myself to somebody else who I've never met before. And, and more different than just a resume for someone to hire you, but someone you want to be in relationship with. The best way that I could even, or probably the most likely way, is, is online dating that some people are on. And uh, don't, listen, statistics show you're on it, right? They're, 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 that, people, that, that people are on it. And you, you want to present yourself as, as, as who you are, hopefully, not who you're not. And how would you describe yourself? I got that about that. I was thinking about that the other day. Like, well, how would I describe myself? I'm married. I'm, I'm, we're, we're, we're good. I don't need to be on that. Button. But anyways, if I was describing myself, what would I say? What's the most important thing? And what you do is you, 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 you say good things about yourself. And you probably, you know, you want to say, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm looking for someone who's a believer in Jesus. You know, I like dogs. I like long, you know, walks on the beach. And, you know, all of these things. I'm smart but not, and funny, um, but not, you know, just all the things that are probably not true. But you, you, you put these things there as like, this is who I am. But that's not how Paul starts this letter. To a people who he hasn't met, here's how Paul describes himself. Verse 1, Romans 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures. Paul starts off with, I would say, as hard as the doctrine is going to be that we're going to go through and as as hard as the theology is going to be that we go through, the book of Romans or the letter of Romans starts off with hard language for modern ears. Because the first thing that Paul says is, Paul, a servant, which that that word is translated sometimes bond servant. It's the Greek word doulos, which means slave. Like It just means slave. It's not, oh, it's, it's a better, no, it's slave. And for our, our modern ears, we just don't, why would anyone want to call themselves a slave? Because we usually think of 19th century African-American slavery in our country, and we go, who wants to be a slave? And, and we have to understand what the Bible talks about when it uses that word doulos. That, that word has a range, and sometimes people were voluntary slaves, meaning they didn't have any money, they had bills to pay, and they would volunteer themselves, to be, volunteer themselves to become slaves. Sometimes it was involuntary, meaning people were born into slavery because their parents were slaves. Either way, they were purchased, that they were owned by someone. And what happens a lot of times with translations is we go, oh, it's just a servant. Paul is saying, I'm a servant of God, I'm committed to God. And it's like, no, there is a difference between serving someone and belonging to someone. Paul is saying, I, this is who I am. He does not start off in saying, I'm an apostle. I wrote half of the New Testament. I had a crazy experience with God where I was walking down the road and he spoke to me. How many people have ever had that before? That's me. He doesn't start there. He says, I'm a servant of God. Like, I belong to God. Like, he owns me. Like, I, I, I'm tethered to him. That what Paul is about to unpack is the central understanding of Christianity. Like, the central understanding. And so, for those of us who are in Christ, this is massively important for us to understand biblical Christianity is that we are tethered to the center of which, who is Christ. And for those of you in this room who go, I'm not really sure about Christianity, but you want to understand it. it, before it's about rules or imperatives, it is about the person and the work of Christ, what he's done for us, and how we are tethered to him. That's what Paul starts I'm a slave, and I'm, I don't, I'm proud to say I belong to God. 
But what makes him say that? Like what, what makes Paul say that, that he is so tethered to God that whatever God wants, he wants to do. Whatever God thinks, he wants to think that way. Whatever God is up to, he wants to be up to. Meaning my whole life is fashioned and patterned uh, around the work of Christ and the things of God. Meaning I am submitted to him. In essence, what he's saying is this is what a disciple is. A disciple is one who gives complete allegiance to the kingdom of God. A disciple is one who gives complete allegiance to the work of Christ. So Paul says, this is how I want to start this letter. It is about Jesus. It's not about me. Paul says, it is about God. It is not about me. So what makes him say that? One word. What makes him say he, he's a slave to God? Use that, that negative language to use it in a positive way. One word. It's love. He was captured. Something about the gospel captured Paul. And he was just captured. He was hooked. And we know what it's like. Many of us know what it's like to be hooked when there's something that we love or someone we love relationally. You know what it's like when you see that person, when you, you meet that person, you're like, that, that, that's the one, right? I know for me, the first time I met Holly, uh, the third time I met Holly, um, because when I first met her, I was in college, and I wasn't a Christian, and she was, and my mind was, my mind was on different things. I was, I was doing me. But then I got saved, right? And then, and, then, and then I met her when we were doing this camp. And you've heard this story, but I love telling it because I, I, I was, whenever I found out what she was doing, what sport she was doing, I wanted to be next to her. And so she was doing the soccer clinic, and I know nothing about soccer. And it was like, Pele, bro, what's up? Like, I'm here, right? And, and I just saw those blue eyes, and I'm locked. And you, you, you know what that's like. And, and you see that person and you think, this is it. Like, I'm not turning back. If this person wants to be with me, I'm going to be with that person. Like, you have, like, I had in that moment, like, I am captured by this woman, by the way she serves, by her beauty. I, I, I am captured by her. That's wifey. That's what I was thinking in my head, right? That, that, that's wifey. Like, I'm, I'm hooked. Like, I'm not going back. I'm, I'm gone, right? Paul has this. Now, as beautiful as my wife is, as godly she is, as much as I love her, nothing Hear me, nothing can capture you like the gospel. Nothing can capture you in love like how God displays himself for us through the beauty of the gospel. But Paul says, this is why I can call myself a slave. It's because of this good news. Now, now before we unpack this good news that Paul has, we we have to understand that there is a difference between um, good news and good advice. You see, gospel means good news. That's what it means, good news. Something's happened. And what we, think, uh, 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 what we think about a lot is good advice, that most of us think biblical Christianity are things that we have to do. We use language, I need to get right with God. I, I have to do something to get right with God. Just picking back on what we were talking about last week for Easter, it's like, no, that might be good advice. Um, sometimes we say, the gospel is repent and believe. No, no, no. That's a response to the gospel, but that's not the gospel. Here's what I mean. Good advice is something we should do. Like, this is something we should do. And if it works, we say, it's good advice. Like, we have to understand the difference. You see, Dr. Phil gives advice. Do this, don't do that, break up with this person, get there with this person, hate this person, love yourself, hate yourself, and love yourself at the same time. Whatever, right? These are things you should do. And if it works, you say it's good. Or in the gospel, on the other hand, is about what Christ has already done 2,000 years ago on the cross, in the grave, now sits at the right hand of the Father. It's already accomplished. 
Advice is something that needs to be applied. The gospel is something that is believed. Advice does not elicit joy. The gospel elicits joy and celebration and delight in who God is and what he's done on our behalf. This is good news. It's the reason why Paul starts off and says, yeah, I'm an apostle, but first and foremost, I am tethered to the center who is Christ. And the reason why is because I, I understand his love for me as seen, as displayed, as revealed through the good news, which is the gospel. And there's three things that Paul gives us about this gospel that we need to understand as Christians, and also three things that we need to understand those of us who are not Christians, who at least understand if we're going to reject Christianity, let's reject biblical Christianity, not what we think it is. The the first thing that Paul lays out here is that this gospel is a long, unfolding story. I mean, he points out the the, um, antiquity of it, meaning there's history behind this. This This is good news, but it's not new news. Paul is not writing something that was new. God had already and always loved this world and desired to set his love upon this world to redeem the world, of which you are a part of. And so there's a love language there. There's a, there's a history of love of which God is doing. The second thing that, we, we, we want, that Paul pulls out of this gospel is the subject of it, meaning it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And I know that, that we don't like that sometimes because sometimes we like Jesus to be co, Right? I mean, you know, you see those bumper stickers like Jesus is my co-pilot. I remember, I remember one of the first churches I, I, I started going to, and it was this, this, this black dude in there preaching. It was great. And he goes, Jesus is not your co-pilot. If Jesus is on the pilot, you better believe he's driving it. And I was like, yeah, you go. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, it, it's, it's about Jesus. Good news is about him. It's about what he's doing, what he's done. We just get to be a part of it by faith. And the last thing is the gospel has results. I mean, the gospel is that God saves us, redeems us, and loves us as is, but never leaves us as is. We said that. He loves us as is. We come to him as we are, but he never leaves us that way. He transforms us. And so the first part, the antiquity of the gospel, Paul is saying, this has been a long, unfolding story of what God has done and is doing through his son, Jesus. In fact, Paul says this in verse 1. He says, I've been set apart for the gospel. Verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He's saying this is not something that's just new. He's saying this is something God promised. Like God said he was going to do something. And, And he spoke this through the prophets. And the prophets are the men who spoke in the Old Testament. That God had a a story that was unfolding, that the Bible in itself is one grand meta-narrative, the true story of the world, about what went wrong with how God created it and its beauty, what went wrong with it, and how it will be and will um, will be accomplished and redeemed in Christ Jesus and one day fully restored. He says, the prophet spoke to this. Like, this is not something that's new, but it's great news. And, and, and hear me on this. This good news is something that God had for his creation, of which you are a part of. So is it personal? Absolutely. But is it cosmic? Absolutely. He's going to redeem the world in and through Christ. But here's how it plays out for us in understanding this. When I sit down with people, sometimes I'll say, tell me your story of, 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 of how you related to the Lord or, or when you met the Lord and, and how, how long has your story with God been? And what people usually say is something to the effect of, you know, when I was in junior high or when I was in college or when I was in this dorm one day or I came to a church service and some guy preached this word and, and I believed in Jesus and that's when my story with God began. And what I would say is, theologically, right, 
that is true of when you first believed in Jesus. But in God's sovereign perspective, in God's love for you, um, your story with God began before he even created you. What we're going to look at, look at in, in Romans, especially in Romans chapter 9, but Paul picks up it in Ephesians chapter 1, where he says that God in his love predestined. And, and so often when we hear that language, we go, oh, no, it's going to be doctrine. No, no, no. Because we debate about a word that should be wrapped into God's unfolding story of love. What that means is that when God spoke about in the prophets, when the prophets began to speak and they said, in the beginning... Like, even before God be created, he knew that he would create a beautiful creation of which at the apex of his creation would be man and woman. Beautiful, created in his image, after his likeness, given the ability to choose or volition. But God, knowing that they would choose to sin against him and that what the world that we live in now with its effects of sin would be. And God, before the foundation, because of his love for you, made a way that he would tether himself with you, that no matter what you would ever do, no matter how far, how fast, or how hard you would ever run from God, that you would never escape his gracious love for you. God God is saying, before you knew me, I foreknew you. And the Bible in itself, the prophets, spoke of this good news. And as we see the scriptures unfold, that God constantly sends a messenger or mediator to talk on God's behalf, to finally he sends his son himself to show forth the good news of which he is bringing to us. Now, that good news may have come to you at a camp. It may have come to you at a church service. But what what that means is it's going to come to you. So some of us who are in Christ Jesus, we can see God has had his hand on you for a long time. All you have to do is look back at your life, however old you are, and go, even when I wasn't a Christian, I say, God protected me here, he protected me here, and here's why, because he loves you. Paul says, I'm tethered to Jesus because Jesus decided to be tethered to me before there was me. Meaning Jesus decided to do something and do a work in me. God decided to do a work in me in spite of me and in spite of my rebellion and in spite of my sin. And so some of you who have never believed in Jesus, you may say, well, that's not me. Oh, you don't know. You don't know. Because God, his love will find you. Trust me. You can run and you can run and you can run. The good thing about God's love is you can't reject him. He will outlove you. He will outlove your disobedience. Paul is saying this gospel is something that God has been doing and unfolding in a grand story of which he takes all of our stories by faith and we're included in through the work of Christ Jesus. Amen? That's good news. And Paul goes, this, this, this is not it. It's not, it's not just the history. It's not just the story of God's love, but it gives us the subject. He says, the reason why I'm tethered, the reason why I'm, I call myself a slave because of God's love is because it centers around Jesus. Uh, continue with me in verse 3. It says, concerning, meaning the prophet spoke concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Now, here's what Paul is saying. Um, he's saying, this good news is not about what we had to do. This good news about if you show up to church, then it will be good for you. This good news was not if you're born into the right family. This good news is if you're morally upright. He says, this good news is about Jesus. Like, that is why we exist. Like, we would have no church unless it is about Jesus. 
Like we'll sing some songs, and we'll be shaped by the liturgy we have, but it is about Jesus. If I ever got up here or anyone ever got up here and preached and it wasn't about Jesus, then we just shut the doors. Like, good news is centered around the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the sending of the Spirit of none other than Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul is saying. He, he tells the story of Jesus, and, he, and what he's telling us is he's fully God and he's fully man because that's what we needed as a Savior. He's, he's Savior and Lord. The, the first thing that he says is concerning his, the, his son, who was descended from David um, according to the flesh, meaning that he was fully man. That God had promised um, in the Old Testament, he had promised that he would raise up a seed, that he would raise up a physical seed, I meaning a, hu- a human would be able to be a Messiah or a Savior. Now, people of the Old Testament didn't understand exactly what this would look like, but they knew that he would come from the Davidic line, from David, from David's great-great-great-great-grandson. And then we, when we read the Bible, we see that God did raise up people. He raised up Solomon. He raised up godly people, but they were still sinful people that we come to the end of the Old Testament and we say, there's no way this world can be redeemed unless God himself entered in. And that's the Christmas story, which is essential to the Christian truth, that God became flesh, that he was fully man. Now, here's why this is important. We needed a substitute, humanity. Because of our sin and because of God's holiness, God was going to enact and be just and punish sin. God required righteousness. We were sinners, and he was going to punish sin. He required righteousness of which we had none. We had an issue. And God, in his love for us, he, hear me, this was not an afterthought. If, if, you're, um, if you're like me, when I first started uh, understanding Christianity, I thought God created this world um, and then after that, um, the snake uh, tricked, tricked Adam and Eve, and they sinned, and then God had to come up with a way to save the world. And God said, they're going, how are we going to save the world? How are we going to save the world? And then he sent Jesus, oh, it's a good idea. But the Bible lets us know, God goes, uh-uh, I knew all that was going to happen. But God was not surprised. Like, think about that. Think about everything you've done, everything you're probably going to do. God goes, doesn't surprise me, I'm still going to send my son. That's why Paul, later in Romans, can say, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's not a, there's not a, there's not a more powerful, powerful truth than that. Like, this is not an afterthought. Like, that's how magnificent God's love is. That's, that's why it's good news. Paul says, Jesus is fully man because we needed a Savior. We needed someone to do for us that, that we couldn't do for ourselves. That we needed a high priest. And this high priest language, just in case you're unfamiliar, it's mentioned in, in the Old Testament, which God was giving hints of what he was doing. And the high priest would be someone who would mediate between God and his people. And the high priest would go into the most holy of holies within the temples that come before the Lord. And he would bring with him blood as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And he'd also have more blood for his own sacrifice because he too was a sinner. But the writer of Hebrews lets us know that Jesus becomes a true and better high priest. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, here's what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus being our high priest. He says this, Therefore, he, meaning Jesus, had to be made like his brothers, meaning he had to be a man. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. 
Right, here's what he's saying. Um, he's saying he had to be human because God was going to punish humanity for our sin. Because God is holy, because he's just, because God is loving, because God is merciful, he sent us a substitute. And Jesus becomes that substitute, and it says he makes propitiation. That's just a big word to say that all the anger of God for our sin, like every single ounce of wrath, God poured out on his son Jesus. Meaning every single ounce. And so sometimes we, we have these things in our lives where, where things will happen in our lives that cause suffering or pain. And we go, God's mad at us. No, 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 no. If you were in Christ Jesus, he's not mad at you. He could never be mad at you. Just think about this. It would be unjust for God to be angry at you. It would be unjust of God to, to make another punishment for your sin because that penalty has already been paid in Christ. Propitiation means he satisfied God's wrath. Like God is, he was completely satisfied in enacting justice and wrath upon Jesus on our behalf who would believe in Jesus by faith. That the incarnation, God putting on flesh, Paul says he came in the flesh, it meant something. That means we have a savior and we don't have an abstract savior. It's what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. Um, some religions have God who come into this world, but they're pretty much weak and they have their own issues. Or they have a God who's completely distant. Um, he's transcendent, but he's, he's, just, he's just different from everyone else and he's other. Yet we have a God who says, I will put on flesh and I will enter in. And not only just to satisfy the wrath of sin, but also to understand and identify with you even in your temptations. And in fact, if you're in Hebrews and you look over to the right in chapter 4, he says this, Beginning in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He's saying not only did Jesus die for our sin, but Jesus understands what it's like to be tempted, and he himself was without sin. Meaning the temptations that we sense to sin, no matter what your temptation is. Well, see, we understand temptation and we have limited knowledge. Like we don't really know what we're getting into. Jesus willingly entered into this earth and received temptation was without sin. And he has perfect knowledge. He knows the full weight of it without any release, without any escape, so that he can sympathize with us. Paul says, this is a savior and this is the savior we needed. He's fully man. But he wasn't only fully man, um, meaning we needed God. We didn't just need a good person. We needed the God-man. It's what theologians call, this is a very you know, phrase, it's called the hypostatic union. It means Jesus is fully God and fully man. Um, not part God, not part man, fully God and fully man. And Paul lays this out in this gospel for us. He says that he came through the flesh, meaning he was fully man. But then verse, verse 4 continues, it says that, but he was declared or proved to be the son of God and the power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. This, he's saying the resurrection, what we celebrated last week, that it showed that he's, he's God, that he didn't just go to the grave, but he was raised from the grave. And we needed God because we needed righteousness. We needed the righteousness that we did not have, and Jesus gave us that righteousness because Jesus is now our Savior. He redeems us. He's died for us, but he's our Lord. He reigns. He's king, and we submit to him. Paul says, this is why I'm tethered to him. Like, this, this love of God for me, this is why I'm tethered to him. 
This story of God's love for you in which God has broke into history and has been working in history in order to redeem his creation of which you are a part of because he loves you and which he sent his son in the likeness of human flesh to bear the penalty of sin of mankind that we may now have confidence that we can come to him in grace with whatever weaknesses that we have that we are forgiven, past, present, and future. When you get this gospel, you realize it's good news because it elicits joy. It's nothing we have done for this, but it's everything that God in his love in Christ Jesus has done on our behalf, and we respond to that. And there's a result when you believe the gospel. Hear me on this. There is a result when you believe the gospel, the true biblical Christianity gospel, good news, and here's what Paul says, verse 5, he says, Through whom, through Christ, through the gospel, through whom we have received grace, God's unmerited favor, and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Now, there may not be a more overlooked verse in all of Romans. There, there may not be, I'm going to say it again, a, a more overlooked verse. I mean, if you have a pen, a highlighter, that... The gospel, Paul is saying, now through this gospel, it is his part. He's writing this letter. He's tethered to Jesus. He is a slave because he, he wants to see what the gospel produces, and that is obedience of faith. Like, that, that is massively important for us to understand. Because our day is a day where we want to talk about grace in which we can be forgiven by God for our sins, but we don't have to live for him. Meaning we, we can understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we say, praise him, but we're going to go live any way that we want to live. And what Paul is saying is, you may not get the gospel. That the gospel in itself is not that God comes in to just make you better. I think many of us, we, we come to a church service or we, we want to hear teaching or we want Jesus because we want Jesus to fix a couple things. Like we have a couple things, a couple leaks we want him to fix. Like, maybe, you know, it's a drug issue. And like, if, I can, if Jesus can just help me with my drug issue, then I'll be cool. Yeah, I'll find Jesus. Maybe it's a financial issue. If I can just get my finances set, I'll believe in Jesus. And if he can work through it, yeah, yeah, I'll take care of that. I'll, yeah, sure, I'll follow Jesus. Maybe it's the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your kids or the people around you have anger issues. Like, if Jesus can fix that, yeah, I'll, I'll be cool. And we have this compartmentalized Jesus that we use as like a, a worker, like someone who comes to fix something when something's broken and then he moves on his way. And that's not the King Jesus. That's not the Lord. We, we, we treat Jesus somehow as he's like into remodeling. But Jesus is not into just remodeling. Jesus takes control over our life because of love. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, the love of Christ controls us or constrains us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died, therefore all have died. And the one who died, he died so that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but live for the one whom for their sake died and rose again. He's saying, that's the gospel. God did something. I believed it. It was his love. And because of that, he controls me. And this is not a control. He just tells me what to do. I willingly submit myself to him. I'm tethered to him. And therefore, obedience will flow from that. God, God, is, God is not just in remodeling. If you have a picture of a home, right? And especially if you live in Tempe, what we try to do with these old homes in Tempe is we try to, to remodel them. And my wife and I were moving to Tempe. We wanted to have a house that at least had something that looked new. And we walked into the house that we bought, and there was like a fireplace there, right? Of which we've been there for almost two and a half years. I've never used that mug. Um, 
but it looks good, man, I'm telling you. And, and, and we use Jesus like that. Like, if Jesus can just give us a little, just increase our value a little bit, this could be good. But Jesus doesn't come in to, to remodel. He tears that whole mug down and he builds something new. The gospel says that in Christ we are a new creation. And now a disciple of Jesus lives after the work, lives after and from the approval, um, lives with God and God's intentions for this world. And obedience is tethered to that. And so hear me, obedience does not give you good news. But saving faith in good news will produce obedience. Meaning there will be change and there ought to be change within your life. Now, it's a process. It's called sanctification, which we'll talk about. Um, it, it looks different for different people, but there is change. And, and the reason why I hammer this is I know where we're going. I know where we're going. Um, Paul is saying this gospel tethers you to God, and it tethers you to God's ways. In just a few weeks here, we're going to be talking about righteousness. We're going to be talking about unbelief. We're going to be talking about sexuality. Um, all topics of which if we don't understand that God is about transforming us, we're going to miss out on it. And here's another thing that God is saying. Within human history, the way that he's making himself known, it is through you and through me. He says the result of the gospel, he says, is to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And so God has called us, which is a privilege, like we get to be his children. He's done it all for us. But there's also a responsibility. And the responsibility of the gospel is that we tether ourselves to God. And because of that, in response to God's grace, that we, in obedience, we show forth the character of God, the ways of God, the thoughts of God, and our shared life and community together. Paul says, that's why I'm writing this letter. And we're going to spend the next 69 weeks unpacking this letter and understanding what it is that Paul says. Let, 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 me, let me close with summarizing verses 8 through 15. Paul, after unpacking the gospel here, in verse 7, he says, To all who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he says in 8 through 15. He says, first, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I can't wait to see you. I long to see you. I hear good things about you. Um, so he's praying for them. The, the second thing is, I want to encourage you. He goes, when I get there, I want to encourage you with the gospel. And then he says, and I want you to encourage me with the gospel. Meaning we're going to mutually encourage one another about how the gospel is at work in our life. And then lastly, he says, with this gospel, I want to share it to everybody. He says, I'm under obligation to Jew, to Greek, to barbarian, to wise, to foolish. He goes, if they have a heartbeat, they're getting the gospel. And, and that, for us, is why we exist. If you live in this city, if you live around this city, we want to expose you to the biblical truths of what God has done in Christ Jesus. It is great news. It's not something we should ever assume. It's something we should also always live in. The first, the first time I heard the gospel, I, like in my heart language, meaning once I believed in it, it was good news for me because it was the first time I was able to interpret God's love for me and the forgiveness of sins that he's given me. And so the question and my, my non-Christian friends would say is, why do you still need it? And I would say this, as a Christian, you can relate to me. I need it more now than I did then. It's one thing when, you know this, it's one thing when you don't know what God wants for you to do, and then he forgives you, to know what God wants you to do, and you're still a sinner. 
The gospel didn't make me not a sinner anymore. I thought it did. For like a day it did. I was excited. <laughs> and then I kept living, and I realized, oh, my goodness, I need Jesus day by day, every day. And what the gospel shows me now is I'm more, as Tim Keller would say, I'm more wicked and flawed than I ever dare believe, but at the same time, more loved and accepted than I ever dare hoped. And this good news is for all people. Amen? Let's pray.